I think sometimes they're not so aware of the differences between like in-app advertising versus like in-game advertising. So I think that's a misconception because some people might say like in-game advertising is very intrusive. You know, a banner that's like in the background of your game is not the same as an interstitial that's like popping up between rounds of a game. That's Lena Wangfang, Senior Director of Inventory at StackAdapt, our sponsor on this episode of the Digiday podcast. Later in the show, Custom talks with Lena and Omar Fazal, Senior Manager of Inventory Solutions, also at StackAdapt, about in-game advertising, the misconceptions surrounding the space, the types of ads available, and where the space is headed. My name is Tim Peterson. I'm the senior media editor at Digiday. And I'm Keely Barber, media editor at Digiday. Keely, you had the interview this week and you spoke with Leilani Hahn, who is the executive director of commerce at the New York Times Wirecutter. Keely, why do you want to have Leilani on? I wanted to do this one as kind of a somewhat timely response to Prime Day. Um, Amazon Prime Day just completed uh, a week before we had this conversation. So a week later, I wanted to see what the results were, how Prime Day did for commerce publishers kind of um, compared to years prior. And uh, Wirecutter being, a, you know, one of the more legacy commerce publications out there, um, I thought was a good, you know, resource to, to have this conversation. And, you know, Leilani and I have talked in the past a lot about, um, you know, some of the trends in commerce. So um, wanted to hear what she had to say about this year's Prime Day and how it performed for them. And first question I asked her is really like how it went compared to last year. And she said not only did like the quality of deals exceed her expectations, but that kind of had this ripple effect into um, higher conversion rates, higher, um, you know, order values and, um, you know, more traffic. And it just seemed to be a a very positive commerce experience midway through the year and what has been a somewhat uncertain year for commerce revenue. Yeah. How would she say about like how commerce businesses for publishers or specifically the wire cutter is doing overall, like not just Prime Day? Yeah. So we talk, I ask her at the end, kind of like what revenue looks like for the year, how it's progressing. And um, I'll let her kind of get into the, the nitty gritty there. But I guess a slight teaser for our listeners is it seems to be pretty much on par with expectations, but that's very much considering the fact that like it was almost impossible to predict what this year would look like and forecast properly. Um, And while consumers responded very well to this year's prime day and, you know, it seems to be growth on all accounts, that's not to say there won't be a saturation point reached by the end of holiday. So the next six months look positive, but, you know, I guess still TBD at the end of the day. Yeah, I guess like on par with expectations is one of those things where like, well, were those expectations high or low going in to know if that's a, what exactly that says. But um, interesting. Sounds good. Looking forward to this conversation. Thanks, Kayla. Thanks, Tim. Lani, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you today, Kaylee? Doing great. So we are recording this on Wednesday, July 19th, and it's 
a week after Prime Day has wrapped. So this episode is very much going to be focused on uh, how Amazon Prime Day performed this year compared to years past, how uh, commerce publishers are thinking about the state of commerce and consumer shopping behaviors holistically this year, and what this kind of midpoint in the year kind of represents for uh, consumers and, and commerce businesses holistically. So Let's start out with talking about Prime Day, how it went, what were some top line takeaways, how did it perform year over year, what were some, I guess, like trends or, or you know, important things that you noted from this year's Prime Day event? Sure. So Prime Day this year went very, very well. I'm sure you've probably seen Amazon's press release that they um, just issued last week that gave some of their top line highlights. But I think what I would say there is that I think over overall, we saw a lot of really great success. Um, generally speaking, we tend to do well during these tentpole events. Um, we continue to see um, strong growth year over year. And heading into this Prime Day, I did expect it to be strong. I think all the signals were there, um, not only from our own performance, like we had been trending well, just in terms of very strong search performance. We have done a really great job, our audience team, in terms of diversifying our off-platform channels, working really closely with our colleagues at the Times um, to bring more New York Times readers to us. Outside of that, the signals were also there from our merchant partners. Um, I think if you were to go act- go back and actually take a look back at some of like the, the big retailers, Q1s, earnings reports, um, there was a lot of indications to lead me to believe that when it came to the deals that we might expect in the back half of the year, that they would be strong. All that said, I even have to say that this Prime Day far exceeded my own personal expectations. You know, we had set ourselves a projection for, you know, strong growth year over year, and it far surpassed that. Uh, We actually tracked for those two days, just in terms of our performance in high double-digit percentage growth year over year. Um, And so I think there was a lot of different things that went into that. Um, As I mentioned, and just in terms of all of our various audience channels, we were really poised for, for growth as well from just like the content strategy. Our team has done a really great job every single year of continuing to iterate on best practices, but also like testing out some new strategies. Uh, So all the pieces were there. But of course, the cornerstone of a deal event like this, of a a tentpole event like this, is really in the deals themselves. Um, And leading up to the event, we had reason to believe that we would be in a really good place. You know, we're very fortunate to have very strong relationships with a number of our partners. And so we are privy to a number of embargoed information in the form of markdown sheets. And that really is not only important for helping us to plan ahead, um, just from a pure operational standpoint, it's such a heavy lift on so many teams involved that it's actually a very critical piece in order for us to help prepare for that event, but also kind of gives us a signal as far as how the event is going to be. Um, And then just right out the gate, it was very, very strong. A number of retailers really came out with a ton of strong deals, but Amazon really led the pack. They came out strong. They came out hard with a lot of really great discounts. And that actually didn't really um, let up. Uh, It it pretty much sustained itself throughout those two days, which was really uh, exciting to see just from a pure reader service and performance standpoint. So overall, um, this year's Prime Day uh, did very well year over year. 
Yeah. Lots to follow up on from that. But the first question I have, as you mentioned, high double digit year over year growth, was that specifically around conversion rates? Was that like average order value? Like what kind of metrics were you looking at that had that growth? Sure. When we're looking at both ordered revenue, as well as our earnings tracking to high double digit growth. But when it came to many of our other KPIs, we also saw a lot of really strong growth. So then you start breaking it down into a couple of other areas. we are very fortunate. We generally have a very strong conversion rate. Um, and, you know, when you're talking about percentages, even, you know, a few fractions of a percentage can be pretty strong. Um, and what I'm able to say there is that it was a meaningful lift in conversion that we saw year over year. Um, some of our other metrics as well, page view wise, we also did really, really great um, and was really happy to see that some pieces in our new content strategy was actually leading the way in terms of its share of our overall year over year growth, uh, as well in our various off platform audience channels. Um, the, you know, the team has done a really, really excellent job of crafting a really great strategy, whether it's for newsletter or social, but also just in terms of how they're approaching the reader service and trying to bring a more personable tone that really leans into the expertise and speaking in that first person voice. And in each of those channels, we actually tracked really, really great growth, um, triple digit year over year percentage growth, actually. Wow. So sticking with conversion rate for just a second here, you mentioned that it did grow. Is conversion rate on prime day? And if you could share like what the actual conversion rate is, that would be awesome. But is conversion rate on prime day typically higher than maybe like other points or other sales events during the year? Or like, what's the, I guess, parameter for conversions on an event, you know, sales event like this? Yeah, that's a great question. And unfortunately, I'm not able to speak to specifics, but um, just trying to think through and unpack all the various factors that go into a conversion rate. Conversion rate can be a little bit tricky to unpack at times. And I say that because we do generally have a really strong conversion rate and we have a lot of really consistent inputs, right? And I say that because we have a ton of content that's evergreen, not surprisingly, as represented through all of the reviews that we're writing that are meant to be evergreen in nature. Of course, we have other discovery pieces of content that might track a little bit differently, but those have different purposes. I think what I would say about prime day conversion rates as far as why it can be a little bit more difficult to unpack is because, you know, I think across the board, you know, the metrics definitely grow, but they're not necessarily on that consistent basis as the evergreen is. And so um, sometimes what you might actually end up seeing, you know, depending on where you end up seeing a lot of traffic coming from, um, like for example, maybe it's a particularly great search year for um, your discovery content, or perhaps you're seeing a lot of other referral traffic coming in from your other channels. And so that could end up driving a ton of additional page views. Um, But different, you know, different channels can have different types of intent. Generally speaking, you would still expect conversion to be strong just because those deals are present. So with all all that said, uh, I would say in comparison to years past, also relative to our evergreen um, conversion rate, we were really happy to see like the lift that we were we were seeing. I mean, I can't give specifics, but if it's helpful, what I was saying earlier was that when you're talking in percentages, even a fraction of a percentage could be meaningful. And in our case, it was a lot stronger than just a couple of 
a co- you know, mm-hmm. a fraction of a percentage. Um, and so I think with all that, all that said, knowing that we're seeing an influx of readers coming in from, you know, like new audiences, new channels, and knowing that that can, you know, actually shift the conversion rate a little bit. We were really, really happy to see that that growth was actually able to be present, regardless of the fact that you might be seeing, you know, the mix coming in from other places. Yeah. And I definitely want to get into that editorial strategy mix because I've spoken with a couple of publishers now about Prime Day strategy and uh, what kind of worked for them this year that they leaned in a little bit more on this year versus previous years. But before getting into that, you did reference the fact that like the deals were pretty good this year. And I think one publisher told me that what they saw across the the deals that they cover is like you know, an average 38% discount year over year, or an average of a 38% discount on products versus last year, which was more around 20%. So definitely an increase in savings um, when you're looking at price point discounting. But curious, like what stood out to you as being like, this is a good deal. This is a good like sales event for um, our readers. And how did you go about selecting the deals to to focus on as well? Because I feel like there was uh, definitely a focus on more like essential products and like discounting around like beauty and, uh, you know, maybe more household items versus like larger, maybe electronic items, like maybe, you know, you would see in Black Friday. So curious kind of like what deal stood out to you, what you qualified as a good deal and how you then incorporated that into your coverage? Sure. Those are all really great questions. And I think to an extent, you sort of have to take the discounting of, you know, pre-deal event versus post a little bit with a grain of salt at times. Retailers can be pretty, you know, infamous in the sense that they may have, there's there's MSRP, right? Then there is uh, something that we call a street price. We know a lot of times products do not actually live at their MSRP. You know, retail is such a competitive environment that uh, when it comes to all the various pricing strategies that are put out there, uh, we tend to see it actually go lower than that street price, uh, the MSRP. And it's what we refer to as a street price. What is the most common uh, price that we tend to see for a given product across the retailers that actually sell that product? So our deals team keeps track of what that range actually is. And um, because we, you know, we're unique in the sense that we only focus on deals that are wire cutter picks. And if it's not a wire cutter pick, then we don't, you know, don't even look at those. So that's first and foremost, not only a differentiator, but something that does also make us stand out and makes our deal strategy a little bit different from other publishers. So when we're taking a look at the wire cutter picks and we're taking an, an assessment of the average street price range that we're looking at, our deals team is then actually taking a look at what is that best price relative to um, the street price that we've seen over the course of X number of days, a certain time frame. And of course, we're taking into account seasonality and whatnot. So all that to say, that's kind of generally speaking, how our deals team is looking at what to actually feature. Now, what I would also say as far as this Prime Day goes is that the level of discounting that w- that we saw generally, so this kind of tracks up what this other publisher was saying, was definitely more generous than what we typically see. And I mentioned that because, you know, in speaking with our senior deals editor and sort of, you know, what he was observing anecdotally, you know, we were actually able to be even pickier than we 
already are with what we were going to choose to feature because the pricing was really, really that great. There actually have been some instances in years past, not specific to Prime Day necessarily, but just tentpole events where for whatever the circumstances are at that moment, you know, in the retail world, sometimes we haven't seen as great of discounting. And so there's moments where we obviously have to take that into account. And I wouldn't call it making a concession, but, you know, relative to what you're seeing and knowing that people are expecting deals, you know, maybe we'll feature something. Whereas in this prime day, we wouldn't have actually featured it because there were so many other great pricing to be seen. So with that kind of backdrop, as far as how we approach deals, um, you know, we then take a look at, uh, you know, we try to assess trends coming, you know, on the heels of Prime Day to try to anticipate what readers are going to be looking at. That's definitely always been a cornerstone of our approach and probably common to co- across other publishers, I would assume. Um, we know that there's going to be certain product categories that people are always going to be looking for deals um, for deals in. Now, that said, uh, I think what's also really interesting about this year, and this is kind of going back to what I was mentioning about if you were like, you know, to take a look at all the Q1 earnings reports from retailers, um, you know, those common goods, those household goods, those everyday items is absolutely something people are um, have been top of mind for consumers in terms of like where there has been, um, you know, growth in certain, like as far as like growth categories, right? And so, uh, as well as that value. So going back to what I was saying, as far as anticipating that this was going to be a, a really good prime day. Um, I think generally speaking, when you look at products that are going to be featured in prime day sales, they do actually tend to run the gamut in terms of product category. And so because Wirecutter, right, our picks really span so like a a really wide breadth of categories, we, you know, have always had that product mix. I think the comment that I would make there, though, is that just the volume of deals across so many products, I would say, um, probably was a little bit more like greater than we have seen in the past. So there's going to be certain items that you're always going to see that people tend to like anticipate and hope to see. And you generally do. So again, kind of that breadth that I was speaking to, uh, crest white, uh, white strips. I think that's what that's called. Like those are mm-hmm. always a favorite. Again, one of those like common household items. Uh, Gillette razors, also super popular. I mean, it makes sense, right? It's like one of those everyday items. It's not a sexy product, but if you can buy it, you know, in bulk at a great price, like why wouldn't you stock up? Vitamix mixers are also always popular, but we also got to see, you know, deals on products that we haven't seen before. I mean, just but like everybody pitches in and helps out. And um, just from my own personal anecdotes, I, things that I purchased were random things that I hadn't ever seen before, um, such as like a watering can. We saw a Trizor knife sharpener that we actually hadn't seen featured um, on Prime Day before. So again, kind of all the tried and true favorites. We've always seen a breadth, uh, but I would just say it was even more expanded compared to years past. Yeah, yeah. And I was going to ask like what you were noting people converting on this year, if there was any kind of, you know, standouts, if there were any categories that did particularly well and kind of what those categories or products, like what that kind of means for end of year in terms of like how you're, you know, going to revisit some of these categories or you're noting people are, you know, spending a lot more this year versus years past? Like what, I guess, were some notable items or brands or products um, 
items and products is the same thing, but you know, categories, I guess that. Yeah. So I think when you zoom out to a very broad category level, there was a lot of the ones that we tend to see, um, you know, Amazon kind of sometimes will lump things into certain categories that encompasses so much, but generally home, kitchen, um, household, electronics, uh, those are categories that we always do extremely well. Um, something that was actually an outlier for us, and this is probably a trend that other publishers have seen, but something that was new for us that we really saw emerge as um, a category for growth was actually in apparel and accessories. You know, we're you know, we cover so many products. Um, our style section is definitely one that is growing. So I think just in terms of like the coverage there, um, you know, we don't necessarily always see as many deals because that category, just in terms of the products and the content is smaller relative to some of the other ones. Um, but between the deals that we were actually seeing, as well as, you know, a new content strategy that we were trying out, which we can get into a little in a little bit, uh, we saw that as an emerging category. Um, anecdotal from our senior deals editor as far as like what deals he saw that really stood out to him that were noteworthy for this event. Um, We actually saw large appliances. I don't, you know, just from my own observation, I don't necessarily always see large appliances. And there was a good number of those, Um, you know, personal exercise equipment, um, as well as Apple products, actually. That's those actually like MacBooks, Apple watches. uh, We were really, you know, kind of surprised to see those because we don't tend to see those really go off until cyber week or rather the type at the level of, of price that we would feature it at. So those were standouts. Um, but aside from that, as far as like some other like tried and true products that we always see, I mentioned a couple stashers, those, uh, you know, those little reusable baggies and the water pick, those always do well. Um, but I mentioned the knife sharpener. That was a new one. Um, Air fryers was one that really kind of stood out to me. I, you know, we've been recommending them for about a couple of years now, a little bit later to the game than some others, but I saw a good number of those deals. Um, massage guns, I saw a couple of those, but also uh, fans. I don't think that's really surprising. <laughs> There's been a heat wave going on in this country for some time now. So um, yeah, so a mix of stuff that we expected and some nice surprises. And, you know, to go back to your question, as far as like what we, we might expect for later in the year, you know, it's it's always tough to try to read the tea leaves and try to anticipate what might come um, in terms of products and deals to expect later in the year, and in particular during the holiday, because I think a lot of that is really dictated by current economic conditions, how retailers are really doing, what inventory they're holding on to. And, you know, I think to a certain extent, even, you know, supply chain to a much lesser extent than like two or three years ago. But I think in certain categories, you know, I just recall um, reading up on certain uh, laptop manufacturers and there's still a little bit of an impact there. But I, you know, my my personal speculation on that, again, reading my own crystal ball there, tells me that I wouldn't be surprised if we were able to actually see similarities between this Prime Day to um, the holiday shopping season, you know, despite the fact that there's a lot of strong signals that people are still shopping. I think that's, be, you know, uh, my personal take on that is really because people are really primed for when there are actually deals present on necessities, but also, you know, items that they're going to want to be gifting around. So I think in order to remain that competitive edge and to finish out the year really strong in a year that has been sort of, you know, it's been very mixed depending on the retailer and the category mix has been so different. Like I wouldn't be surprised if we did see similarities. 
We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, then we'll be right back. I'm Christina Ko, Senior Editor at Custom, Digiday Media's in-house agency. In this podcast, Interstitial Story, sponsored by StackAdapt, we speak with Lena Wangfang, the company's Senior Director of Inventory, and Omar Fazal, Senior Manager of Inventory Solutions, also at StackAdapt, about in-game advertising, the misconceptions surrounding the space, the types of ads available, and where the space is headed. I think there's still like the pretty outdated notion that it's like a teenage boy, you know, playing at their parents' house when that's not the case, right? Especially for casual games. I used to work at um, a mobile gaming publisher. Most of our players were female. So a lot of them were like moms in their 30s and 40s, which is really like key demographic for a lot of advertisers. And I think if you are kind of just stuck in the mindset that going to be like a 15-year-old playing at his parents' house, you may be more hesitant to, you know, engage with um, in-game advertising, but um, not the case, generally speaking. Even our sales team, um, I think sometimes they're not so aware of the differences between like in-app advertising versus like in-game advertising. So I think that's a misconception because some people might say like in-game advertising is very intrusive. You know, a banner that's like in the background of your game is not the same as an interstitial that's like popping up between rounds of a game. In addition to gaming audiences being more expansive than what advertisers were previously used to, there's an important distinction as to what qualifies as an actual in-game ad. Omar Fazal, Senior Manager of Inventory Solutions at StackAdapt, dives into the specific types of these ads and the benefits of each. The first one is your traditional in-app advertising. You know, basically these are interstitial ads or rewarded video ads that play in between uh, breaks in a, in a game when you're playing a game or in between levels. And then if you watch a rewarded video, you get some free freebies and, you know, you get to level up or something like that. Uh, but that's not what um, intrinsic in-game is. Intrinsic in-game is, uh, you know, ads that run in the gameplay. They are a seamless part of the game's 3D environment. The biggest benefit of that is that it is non-intrusive, you know, uh, simply put, it's just uh, when you're playing a game, uh, the thing that gamers hate the most is that being interrupted when you're playing a game and then you have to watch an ad or click on an ad. And, but, you know, there are people who maybe actually, you know, find those ads valuable, you know, if they're uh, properly targeted and if they actually feel like those ads are relevant for them. I think that format has its own pros and it is particularly valuable for uh, lower funnel outcomes. But then in-game, intrinsic in-game with non, non-clickable, non-intrusive type advertising is a very powerful upper funnel tactic with the ability to tie into your lower funnel objectives. While in-app ads serve a purpose, they should not be confused with in-game ads, which are inherently non-intrusive. In-game ads come in many formats, though when looking for those that can be delivered programmatically, there are some restrictions advertisers need to consider. There is like custom execution, like having a logo on a jersey of a you know soccer player in a FIFA game. Again, that's not programmatically available. There are those you know exclusive formats, uh, but programmatic is limited to just whatever the standard IAB formats are. There is uh, display, there is video. With meta and 
the Apple Vision Pro and everything, I definitely see like the concept of gaming changing a lot uh, from console to like VR gaming. And when you talk about VR gaming, I think for advertising, you know, and in-game, that's something that I think is gonna become pretty big pretty soon. You've been listening to Omar Fazal, Senior Manager of Inventory Solutions, and Lena Wongfang, Senior Director of Inventory at StackAdapt, our sponsor on this episode. And now back to the Digiday podcast. I think, um, you know, what you were saying around like essentials too, it's like people really want to save money where they can on literally everything. So it's almost like a Costco mindset. Like if you could buy like Gillette razors in bulk, like why not get them, you know, when they're 30% off or like <laughs> and that. be like, set for it, the rest of the year. Why not? Right. Yeah. So like you could see like, oh, okay. And you know, end of the year I'm out of stock again. Like I need to do another replenishing. Like I, I can see that mindset kind of staying true through the end of the year. Um, I definitely want to get into your uh, editorial strategy and your audience strategy for Prime Day, but then also kind of how it's going to um, persist through the end of the year into holiday time. Um, some so What I've been chatting with other publishers about so far is this kind of like, I think a lesser degree focus on search and SEO in terms of um, getting people into the you know audience funnel and more of a focus on newsletters, app, push notifications, and uh, really honing in on that kind of like quote unquote premium audience social media as well like the people who've opted in to follow your brand in these areas because those people have a, a higher return rate higher lifetime value perhaps and they're just like a more I guess like solidified cohort to go after versus search which has gotten extremely competitive as more and more publishers you know add affiliate, and commerce into their business models. So I wanted to ask you kind of how you're looking at the platforms, how you looked at the platforms for Prime Day in terms of areas of focus, where you saw the most traffic coming in, and if there was any kind of like shift that went on um, with prioritizing places like social or uh, newsletter this year versus years prior. Yeah, great question. Um, And it doesn't surprise me, those anecdotes that you're sharing from other publishers as far as diversifying goes. Broadly speaking, I mean, that's actually been a priority of ours for a number of years now. Obviously, affiliate revenue is important, but growing our our audience base as well as increasing that engagement with them is something that we've been really hyper-focused on um, for nearly my entire tenure at Wirecutter, and that's been going on five years now. You know, let's be real. Search is always going to be an important source of traffic. It's a great place for discovery. I think in particular because commerce content and the products that we're writing about, people are looking for information or we're in that moment of discovery. So it's, we're very much primed. Our entire space is very much primed for for search. Um, And it's an incredible driver for referring traffic. But obviously you do need to diversify. And that's something, you know, I spoke about at the beginning of our chat that we have been working really, really hard on. You know, when I, as far as like audience goes and what our our focus has, there has been, I would say that the biggest takeaway is that um, we are really just trying to stay nimble on social given the environment. There's been a little bit of volatility, um, but we actually really, you know, we're experimenting this Prime Day with new strategies, which includes um, 
not only these uh, product, these single product features that we are really focused on writing about and giving a lot of features to those in our social and bringing that more personable firsthand account to the products that we we know and love, but also driving um, directly to affiliate uh, in addition to on-site, as well as testing out in new platforms. You know, Threads launched a week prior, and so we had some fun doing some experimentation there. And so, um, again, I wouldn't say that there was one platform that was really prioritized over any of the others. I mean, even just, you know, despite whatever challenges Twitter might might be having, we are still staying engaged there. And across the board on the um, on the four channels that we were experimenting are these new strategies within, you know, on social, you know, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, as well as threads. Um, I mean, obviously you're going to see growth on threads. That's kind of a given. But in, in the other three, we that's kind of where I was saying that we were seeing that triple digit year over year growth, which is really phenomenal just to see like not only like the growth and like the actual audience, but the, the engagement as well, which is fantastic. Let's uh, dig into threads there for a second. A very hot topic. Uh, what was the kind of initial reaction? Because I know I think Thread's priority is entertainment, um, you know, lighter content, less news and, and politics. Like that's kind of how the, you know, meta makers of Threads are thinking about this platform. Curious how commerce fits into that. Like, did you have good kind of like click-through rates there? Were you getting like decent engagement? Like what was the, yeah, what was the response from this Threads audience, you know, we're only two two weeks in or so into even existing. <laughs> right. And so I think because of that, I think it's a little bit hard to answer that question with any sort of, you know, definitive like take on it. I mean, it had just launched and I don't really know that there was a ton that we necessarily expected um, so, uh, so much as like, hey, let's get launched on here and let's just experiment and have some fun and, you know, leverage this p- platform to reach, you know, whoever might be on there and any new audiences that we possibly can. And so I would really say that there, that was actually really our primary focus was just on the experimentation piece of it. Um, whereas, you know, with these other channels, uh, well, the channels in general was really focusing on those strategies of um, driving to these new pieces and affiliate clicks. But Threads, I think the biggest takeaway was in it was experimentation. Um, and so we're going to continue to experiment in that space. And so I think when we reconnect, you know, later down the year, I may have something more substantive to share with you, but it's a little bit too early at this point. Did you at least see some click-throughs from the audience there? Like, were people willing to, you know leave the platform to read more or see, you know, more details. Yeah, we definitely have been seeing click-throughs. I mean, kind of across the board, we are seeing clicks um, in volume. I would say it's going to be less than the others, but again, that's not surprising given how new the the um, the platform is. Got it. Yeah. So maybe talking about Instagram now, because um, a few other publishers mentioned that stories have been a really good highlight uh, reel for products during Prime Day. Um, what was the kind of, you know, approach that you had for Instagram that you ended up seeing so much growth year over year in terms of like traffic and just like engagement? But what, like, how did you approach Instagram differently this year? Or, like, what were the product highlights that you did that were like really stand out, um, like to make that platform, you know, a solid area for 
Prime Day? Yeah. So what I would uh, I want to actually lead in with there is to just actually highlight the update that we made to the um, the content strategy because really it all goes back to supporting like our core content strategy and, and ensuring that we've got like the right audience engagement depending on whether it's on site versus the off platform. So when it comes to the editorial strategy itself, so what I would say as far as our content strategy, right? Like I mentioned at the beginning, we're continuously building upon best practices and refining for every single major deal event. And we, every single year, what I have seen in the five years that I've been here is every year we cut out a bit more of the extraneous um, parts to lessen the burden the teams on over on the teams overall, because it is such a huge lift to, to produce it. But testing into new opportunities and continuing to refine that. And this year, it was really a focus on single product um reviews, something that we're actually calling odes. And this odes is actually a format that we've had for several years in which we essentially write what I call, you know, a short love letter to wire cutter picks that have been beloved over time. And I think what's really unique about this and definitely, you know, distinct from our core reviews, which have many thousands of words and is super, super in-depth is we have a writer, um, you know, a beat expert typically just really talking about like highlighting why this wire cutter pick is a pick and why they love it so much and how it stood the test of time as being a wire cutter pick for, you know, number of years or what have you. Um, this year though, in Q2, we really started to experiment with refining the strategy around there. And I say that in the sense of, you know, bef- you know, in the past, when we first st- stood it up, it was primarily editorially driven. And it's not to say that it isn't today, but I would say that the refinement there has really been around in Q2, testing into it by making sure that we're strategizing across a, um, a bunch of different teams. So editorial, as well as deals, audience, as well as my team, commerce, to basically look into this product itself and figure out how can we maximize that impact. And so in a couple of examples that we've seen in Q2, like we've had some moments where commerce was able to curate a deal um, in conjunction with the actual deals team to really kind of figure out like what's going to ha- what price is going to, you know, have the greatest engagement, coordinate with audience to make sure that we could really blow out the promotion of it. And, you know, making sure obviously from the editorial standpoint that it's up to date, or maybe this is an ode that we haven't written before, but we have an opportunity because we're, you know, in talks to actually negotiate a really great deal. And so that's actually been a really great success for us. Um, we, uh, Whenever our team curates a deal, you know, we, de- we do tend to see really great engagement in terms of like lift and all of the metrics. But I do definitely have to say that when we were, um, you know, coordinating across the teams, like the numbers honestly were through the roof. And just to kind of tie this back to our social strategy there, um, this what I would say as far as like our, our social strategy was to really kind of lean into um, bringing a lot of visibility to these odes. So, you know, if you were on Instagram and, and watching stories, you were able to see like that come to life. Um Katie Quinn, who has who you might may have recently seen in our stories, you know, will actually bring them to life by actually like talking about these products. And um, that has been a really great way to bring something that is a much more personal touch already um, to like literally bring it to life in this kind of very visual kind of a format. Um, and so that's been a great fun way to really lean into the expertise, which really is at the core of what makes these odes so successful to begin with, right? It's just more so a first person account that kind of talks about 
this deeply researched and um, tested product. And so by highlighting this, you know, we're able to bring that front and center into a much more bite-sized piece. Um, and we saw a lot of really great engagement there across, you know, all the different KPIs that you would expect just in terms of actual um, click-throughs and like the videos actually being watched and just overall engagement. Yeah. So, you know, I think a a common format for Prime Day content is like, you know, 20 best products under $20 or, you know, 10 best deals that we saw, like these kind of like list style um, pieces. Are you doing less of those like this year? Was that not like a priority or like, I guess, like what was the content breakdown of like prioritizing these like one product reviews or odes versus like some of the you know, multi-product roundups. Yeah, actually we still leaned into those in addition to this new content strategy. So when I was mentioning that we continue to hone in and refine on our best practices, that's definitely one of them. You know, with all the experimentation that we have done over the years and going back to cutting out operationally there's some parts there but as far as some of the extraneous bits like really like we're very refined as far as like we know what's going to basically drive the most bang for its buck so to speak and so um we still do a ton of those lists um you know a ton meaning relative to you know the 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 overall quantity of the actual list that we do we've refined it as far as like maybe just in terms of like the number it's not they're not as many as we have ha- had in the years past but i will say that those lists are still very successful for us which makes sense right people want to just have like a very quick hit of like what do i need to focus on there's so many please drill this down for me. So um, outside of the odes, which has been very successful, we still saw a ton of success and a lot of page views coming from the what we'll call them roundups, right? Like the roundup of like the best of prime day or the best under 100. Uh, but we also saw success as well in a lot of the product specific ones. And this is where, you know, trying to go back to not only what we anticipate people are going to be looking for, you know, but and also kind of reacting to real-time search trends. Um, but also what will happen is we'll actually just keep an eye on like, where are we seeing those deals trending? Are are there actually enough to actually warrant a post about it? So this year, for example, we saw a number of really great TV deals. Um, we don't always have a, a piece dedicated to TV deals because some years there just aren't that many great TV deals. So you had mentioned that like uh, search trends and things of that nature. I do want to talk a little bit more about search and how um, Google and other search engines are a, still a big factor into like your traffic strategy, your audience strategy. Uh, but based on like you know what I had said earlier about hearing from other publishers that their competition is just so steep there. Like, what was your approach to search, like organic search specifically that? Is it kind of your, you know, go-to strategy when it comes to, you know, meeting guidelines and trying to compete there? Or was there any maybe shift away from being as, like, proactive on search? Just curious how you kind of, like, thought about, you know, Google really um, this Prime Day maybe versus others. I guess what I would say just as an overarching comment is I wouldn't necessarily say that this search strategy is something that we spend a ton of extra time on or really depart from because it's just core to our best practices. You know, I will also say too, though, I think it's worth mentioning that we're not in the business of chasing a search algorithm and we never have been. I think that could be at times, you know, a futile effort because oftentimes it's 
kind of opaque as far as like what those what what's the algorithm is going to favor outside of what Google actually chooses to publicly comment on. We've just really been focused on trying to be as helpful as possible to our readers. Um, and, you know, fortunately for us, when it comes to the search engines, you know, they're trying to surface like the, the most helpful information possible. So we have been well positioned in that regard. I would say that in terms of like our overarching search strategy and how we've been refining there, you know, as far as like going back to being helpful. Now we're really focused on how can we ensure that we're helping people find that information more quickly, a little bit more easily, in a little bit more digestible ways. When it comes to Prime Day itself, it all goes back to those best practices that we've really been focused on. I think the only noteworthy difference there versus like what we're doing on a day-to-day basis is, you know, the live blog post, um, that isn't necessarily a new strategy. That is something that we experimented with a couple of years ago for Prime Day. And then we decided, okay, this was successful. This was really instrumental in ranking in top stories. Let's double down on this for cyber for 2021. And of course, the following year, many other publishers followed suit. Um, but that's definitely one departure from our day-to-day um, search, uh, search strategy. And I mean, that live blog post that we had, like we actually kept it updated for 24 hours a day for the duration, I want to say over three days. And that is just such a crazy heavy lift to have team members working around the clock. So, you know, as you can imagine, that could be, (laughs) if we were to try to keep that up 365 days a year, that would lead to some burnout. But otherwise, outside of, you know, live blog posting, um, continuing to lean into those best practices that our wonderful search team has set up for us. I guess like, are the odes like performing well on search as well? Or are those more of the you know, social forward strategy that we just like had talked about previously? You know, I think it really depends, right? It kind of depends on whether or not it's going to be a product that tends to have traction with search interest. And so I think it can be a mix depending on what it is. I mean, for this Prime Day, you know, we actually published like a a little bit north of a couple of dozen of them. Um, I will say, though, that these odes were actually like driving a significant portion of our increase in page views year over year. But I think that's coming from a mix of different sources um, because, you know, outside of like search, like, you know, again, leaning into social and making sure that we're working with our colleagues over at the New York Times to really bring visibility to our Prime Day effort. So I would say with with odes, it was it's more of a mix. I do want to touch quickly on like kind of counter programming that I've heard a lot about. So like Amazon Prime Day kind of set a precedent for a lot of other retailers to have similar, um, you know, member shop events like Walmart and Target, I know are two. Uh, Wayfair has done them regularly. I think Nordstrom's like sale is happening maybe this week or happened this week. So there's a lot of other sales events that are happening. We saw this last October too, with just like an absurd amount of like pre-Black Friday and Cyber Week shopping events or, you know, it was like a month of deals basically. But curious how you kind of approach counter programming that happens, you know, alongside Prime, if there was any kind of increased focus given how many deals were going on or if because Prime deals were just very good this year, if the focus kind of remained on that sales event. So our focus has always been on reader service, meeting them where they are and helping to answer the questions that they might have. This trend of counter Prime Day programming really has been going on for a number of years now. And we've always, you know, at least since I've been at Wirecutter, we've been very focused on ensuring that we are giving our readers options 
So of course, when we have other retailers who are bringing forth deals, we're going to go through them and vet them as well. Um, and going back to that reader service piece, and you know, as we prepare for a, a deal event, you know, we're really taking a look at search trends and people are searching for some of these other retailers. There is curiosity there. So of course, we're going to do our due diligence and check those out. And when a deal is good enough and it warrants a feature on Wirecutter, we will put that up there. All that said, um, you know, of course, the volume has significantly increased quite a bit. Um, So operationally, that's definitely added quite a bit more work. But, you know, we're happy to do that for our readers. Like, luckily, we have some great teams to help support this endeavor. Um, And so, I think if you were to take a look at our content overall, you know, there's a mix of different pieces. There were a couple of others that, you know, featured other retailers. You know, again, it always goes back to are there going to be enough deals to warrant that? That said, I wouldn't say that there is any conscious decision to focus on one retailer more than another. It really comes down to reader service and what are the deals that we're seeing. Um, Going back to what I was mentioning, though, just in terms of how great deals were this year, that did bring an extra level of competitiveness to whether or not something would be featured. And so, you know, without getting too into specifics, I will say that there were some moments where certain retailers really did outshine some of the other ones. And so to kind of wrap up this conversation, I do want to talk about kind of end of the year. I know you mentioned like forecasting is kind of a fool's errand right now with, uh, you know, how revenue is going, how people are spending their money, what's, you know, driving people to spend their money. But I am curious, like what learnings you're taking away from Prime Day that will stay in your strategy going forward, maybe how you're approaching like, you know, back to school shopping or, um, you know, again, those Uh, Although I'm not sure if they're announced yet, but those kind of like October timed sales events, you know, into holiday season, like what are you kind of anticipating based on what you've seen so far and how are you strategizing for the back half of the year, which is notoriously crazy for commerce? Right. And it gets crazier and crazier. It has turned into, you know, a long sprint into essentially a marathon, um, which is quite a lot, not only for the teams who are covering it, but there's always this question in terms of like the readers and consumers is like, is there a point of saturation? So all that said, um, as we head into the back half of the year, I think we're going to, and, and just taking some of these learnings from this past quarter, as well as this prime day, I think this additional level of curation of of our picks of the deals and really kind of highlighting like why they're great and why a deal is a really great deal. We're going to continue to lean into that. Um, you know, people there's so, there people are really inundated with so many like million tens of that hundreds of thousands of deals at any given time during these moments that you know I think without having publishers present to help curate that for them, um, I think consumers probably would reach a point of like saturation. Um, And so I think we'll just, we're just going to continue to focus on, you know, building upon those best practices. You know, I, I'm really excited to see how we continue to experiment with odes and with the audience team that we have since built. And we've added some great new talent to the team, how they really take that a step further. So uh, because some of those team members are a little bit newer, it's too soon to tell like how they're going to take this success and what they're going to turn that into an overall cyber strategy. But you know, I don't think that this is really anything new, like newsworthy per se, but helping to bring the curation of great deals to consumers will stay present. 
people are still going to be primed for those deals. People kind of wonder, you know, whenever it comes to Cyber Week or even Prime Day or some of these other tentpole events, like, do people even really care anymore? People like everyone just does a deal. And I would say that like, maybe, you know, I don't know who is ever really going to say like, I am so excited about this deal event and go shop. I don't think anyone is ever going to say that, but the numbers don't lie. You know, people have need to purchase essentials when it comes to the holidays. People are trying to gift for their loved ones. They're going to be looking for value where they can find that. And that's going to be even more important this year than ever. Yeah, no, I I totally understand. And I think what's interesting about Prime Day is that it always, for me, anecdotally, falls at a time when I'm very much looking for something. So like I'm about to move. I am looking for new household or apartment hold items. And, you know, my big purchase this year was like a, a mobile kitchen island that Amazon happened to have on sale, like quite a few sales on. Never would have thought I needed it or would have bought it through Prime Day, but it just like aligned very perfectly. So like it just kind of happens like, yes, I'm not like marking my calendar for these events, but they fall in such a serendipitous time where I'm like, oh yeah, like I actually need this. Let me capitalize It is on serendipitous. That. You know, when you look at seasonality for moving as well as back to school, I mean, it falls perfectly right before those moments. I know some people who have shared with me that they just get all of their holiday shopping out of the way during the summertime. But um, just your anecdote about like that mobile kitchen island, it's funny that you mention it. And I think this kind of goes back to, again, like the breadth of the various of the products, but also the ability for publishers and anyone who's really covering these events to help to curate is to help surface all these like really helpful things that you may not know of otherwise. Um, Oh, one other item that I would actually mention that was uh, something that stood out to me is a product that we hadn't really seen before. And I saw it mentioned in a press release, but countertop ice makers, absolutely not a necessity for anybody. But does it sound like a great idea? Yes. And that was a deal that really stuck out to me. One, because we had never seen it before. Um, We saw a decent amount of engagement off of that one. But again, across the board, even just outside of Wirecutter, I saw some really great curation of deals. There's a couple of creators that I follow. And now I want a walking pad to put under my standing desk. And I didn't pull the trigger this time. The seed has been planted. TBD for for cyber. <laughs> yeah, no, I uh, I did get a walking pad. Um, I am not presently using that. That would be a very terrible audio experience for everyone listening. But uh, yes, I did end up getting one. Um, I don't I don't think it was last Prime Day, but it was like maybe over the holiday uh, sales. Um, yeah, I enjoy it. Countertop ice makers. That is absolutely a TikTok trend that is making its way around. Uh, around. Uh, I've seen a lot of creators talking about them. It so. makes me feel like I need one. I definitely don't need one, but I, I'm i intrigued. Yeah. I mean, my ice cube tray suffices for me, but uh, <laughs> to each their own, I understand the draw. Um, but awesome. Yeah. I guess last question for you, like looking at kind of revenue trends and how you're pacing for this year, is revenue for commerce expected to be up? What I can comment on is that we've been having a positive year and we are definitely meeting expectations. I think this decade in general has been very difficult. Every single year in the 2020s has been an odd year for one reason or another. Um, and so trying to forecast, you know, at the before the, the beginning of the year starts is can be kind of difficult trying to take a look at past trends. What I will say is this, is that generally speaking, our, our seasonality, when you take a, a, a you know, 
looking at it over the course of a given 12 months, right, or even week by week, our trends are pretty consistent. Um, So I don't think that there's really anything to write home about from that perspective. Uh, But as far as like the expectations that we have set for for ourselves, um, we're doing well. And at, at this point, all signs point to us finishing the year meeting expectations. Well, thank you so much for chatting all things Prime Day and commerce holistically. This has been a very fun conversation. I appreciate you taking the time. Likewise, Kaylee, always a pleasure to speak with you. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of the Digiday podcast. Thank you to everyone for listening. And please don't forget to share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it. We'll be back next week with another episode. Thank you.